0: This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by William Matthews. William Matthews was born in Ohio in 1942. He began writing in his mid-twenties and spent three decades as a professor and a poet. The critic Christopher Merrill once identified him as one of our most alert and engaging poets. Matthews is known as a poet of wisdom and metaphor. He wrote two types of poetry. In one, Matthews explores human consciousness and the cycles of life. In the other, he writes about a few of his favorite things, including jazz, Basketball, and his family. Matthews published 11 books of poetry, including A Happy Childhood and Blues If You Want. Matthews' early poems were free form, but later he settled into a more formal structure. Poet and critic J.D. McClatchy praised Matthews' work, saying, Mr. Matthews finds human joys brightening the unlikeliest places, a plate of pasta or Bach's skeleton, and wants to juggle them with dark truths. Matthews was once asked whether his was the poetry of experience. Well, he replied, it's certainly not the poetry of innocence. Life happens to us, whether we have the good sense to be interested in the way it happens to us or not. In 1996, Matthews' book Time and Money, New Poems, won the National Book Critics Circle Award in 1996. In 1997, the year of his death, Matthews won the Ruth Lilly Poetry Prize. The poems you are about to hear were recorded at the Library of Congress in 1979.
1: I know of no other poem on this topic in English, and perhaps for good reason. Uh, It's a poem about the death of a professional sports franchise. It's the sort of thing which moves my imagination greatly, but uh, may be considered a uh, a trivial event by others. The poem's called In Memory of the Utah Stars. Each of them must have terrified his parents by being so big, obsessive, and exact, so young. Already gone and leaving like a big tipper that huge changeling's body in his place. The prince of bone spurs and bad knees. The year I first saw them play, Malone was a high school freshman. Already too big for any bed. Fourteen A natural resource. You have to learn not to apologize, a form of vanity. You flare up in the lane, exotic, anywhere else. You roll the ball off fingers twice as long as your girlfriend's. Great touch for a big man, says some jerk. Now they're defunct, at Moses Malone, boy wonder at nineteen, rises at twenty from the St. Louis bench his pet of a body grown sullen as fast as it grew up. Something in you remembers every time the ball left your fingertips wrong, and nothing the ball can do in the air will change that. You watch it set, stupid moon, the way you watch yourself in a recurring dream. You never lose your touch or forget how taxed bodies go at the same pace they owe how brutally well the universe works to be beautiful, how we metabolize loss as fast as we have to. I put a second poem about basketball into this manuscript, or that is to say, ostensibly about basketball. It's called Foul Shots, A Clinic. It is, in fact, probably a poem whose shape might might be recognizable to anybody who, who tries to transmit a skill, it could have been called piano lessons, or tap dance lessons, or anything. In my case, it's called foul shots—a clinic. Okay. Be perpendicular to the basket. Toes avid for the line. Already, this description is perilously abstract. The ball and basket are round. The nail head centered in the center plank of the foul circle is round. And though the rumpled body isn't round, it isn't perpendicular. You have to draw an imaginary line, as the breezy coaches say, through your shoulders. Here's how to cheat. Remember your collarbone. Now the instructions grow spiritual. Deep breathing, relax and concentrate both. Aim for the front of the rim, but miss it deliberately so that the ball goes in. Ignore this part of the clinic and shoot 200 foul shots every day. Teach yourself not to be bored by any boring one of them. You have to love to do this, and chances are you don't. You'd love to be good at it, but not by a love that drives you to shoot 200 foul shots every day. And the lovingly unlaunched foul shots we're talking about now, the clinic having served to bring us together, circle eccentrically, in a sky of stolid orbits, as unlike as you and I are, from the arcs those foul shots leave behind when they go in. This poem has an epigraph from Paul Elouard, which reads, There is another world, but it is in this one. The poem is called Living Among the Dead. First, there were those who died before I was born, It was as if they had just left, and their shadows would slip out after them. Under the door, so recently closed, the air and its path was still swirling to rest. Some of the furniture came from them, I was told, and one day I opened two chests of drawers to learn what the dead kept. But it was when I learned to read that I began always to live among the dead, I remember Rapunzel, the improved animals in the just-so stories, and a flock of birds that saved themselves from a hunter by flying in place in the shape of a tree, their wings imitating the whisk of wind and the leaves. My sons and I are like some wine the dead have already bottled. They wish us well, but there is nothing they can do for us. Sebastian cries in his sleep I bring him into my bed talk to him rub his back to help his sons live easily among the dead is the father's great work now Sebastian drifts soon he'll sleep we can almost hear the dead breathing they sound like water under a ship at sea to love the dead is easy they are final perfect but to love a child is sometimes to fail at love while the dead look on with their abstract sorrow. To love a child is to turn away from the patient dead. It is to sleep carefully in case he cries. Later, when my sons are grown among their own dead, I can dive easily into sleep and loll among the coral of my dreams growing on themselves. Until, at the end, I almost never dream of anyone except my sons, who is still alive. This poem is called Eyes. Uh, The title is strange. It's just the word eyes, E-Y-E-S, with a colon after it, as if the poem were a sort of definition or, or a rumination anyway. Eyes. The only parts of the body the same size at birth as they'll always be. That's why all babies are beautiful, Thurber used to say as he grew blind. Not dark, he'd go on to explain, but floating in a pale light always, a kind of candle-lit murk from a sourceless light. He needed dark to see. For a while he drew on black paper with white pastel chalk, but it grew worse. Light bored into his eyes, but where did it go? Into a sea of phosphenes, along the wet fuse of some dead nerve. It hid everywhere and couldn't be found. I've used up three guesses, all of them right. It's like scuba diving, going down into the black cone tip that dives farther than I can, though I dive closer closer. All the time.
0: That was William Matthews, recorded at the Library of Congress in 1979 and used by permission of Houghton Mifflin. You have been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation, in collaboration with poetryarchive.org. To learn more about William Matthews and other Essential American Poets, and to hear more poetry, go to poetryfoundation.org.